0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: Hello and welcome to episode eight of the Sport
0: Horse Podcast.
1: I'm Nicole Aiken.
0: And I'm Tim Warden. Today we have a really interesting discussion with one of the founders of the Equine High Performance Sports Group, Dr. Philippe Benoit.
1: Before we get into our interview with Dr. Benoit, the summer show season is now underway, excitingly, and we've been seeing some really, really great discussions surrounding the science behind conditioning, health, and some cool initiatives that have been launched by various entities around the globe. It's really exciting to see the trajectory that our sport is on, and we hope that these podcasts are helping to drive that change If you want to gain access to more great science, go to our website, www.sporthorsepodcast.com. We have a lot more great content that we can't cover on our podcast, and we're constantly adding more great resources there. So definitely go check that out.
0: Our guest today is Dr. Philippe Benoit. Philippe founded the equine clinic de Brevière in 1992 after earning his DVM from Alfort Veterinary School and a master's in nutrition. He later went on to earn a diploma from the American College of Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation. Philippe has served as the team veterinarian for the French jumping team, for many individual team athletes, and is a former FEI Veterinary Committee member. Philippe currently consults in sports medicine in California, is a member of the Equine High Performance Sports Group and a member of the Horse Sport Horse Research Foundation. Hey,
2: Philippe, and welcome to the Sport Horse podcast. Well, thank you, Tim and Nicole, to have me today. Perfect.
0: So uh, we'll just jump right in here. And uh, this is something that I'm really excited to talk to you about. It's something that I, I always talk about when I found, came across this paper, and it's a really cool paper that you wrote with uh, Rick Mitchell, who's also a renowned veterinarian. On how to perform a specialized examination in jumping horses at competitions. And for our listeners, we'll put a paper, a copy of this paper, uh, in the show notes so that they can go and read it and, and kind of go through it because there's a lot of really good information in it. Uh, but one of the things that stood out to me was the importance of examining a horse early in the day. So, what types of things are you looking for when the horse first leaves the
2: stall? So, this, um, I have to give some history background on this uh, topic because we, when I uh, spoke to a couple of times with Rick Mitchell and a few other colleagues, there was a, a feel like uh, some of the veterinarians were not always listening carefully to the, the show jumper riders. They were asking more things about how the horse behaves in the ring and how he could pick up tiny, subtle things mm-hmm. that could make the horse you know, have a drift on the fence or swap lead or... Basically, not that the horses are really unsound, but horses not doing the job they're supposed to do or not performing as well as they should. Um, So it came up to be um, organizing a type of examination where it's a little bit different than a normal vet exam, where we are becoming very, very picky, looking at all details and looking at the horse, as I said, uh, earlier in the morning. The reason why it's when the horse first thing in the morning when you're at the show, and that's basically a need you have to be sometimes at the show to look at your horses working into their discipline, is to um, go in the stall um, when they are really cooled down, see how they post their limbs, see how they feel comfortable with everything, see how they eat, see how much of uh, potential stress they have and discomfort, which all these details have to be brought up the communication with the groom at that moment is very important because most of the grooms know their horses very well and know their habits and uh, what they do in the day. If something looks abnormal to them, it has to be reported, I guess, to the vet and to the rider. Um, since you're there, you also go through a full physical examination and all the joints, the back, everything is cold. Everything is giving you a lot of information in terms of potential spasm on the top line, uh, joints which are a bit restricted in motion and movements. And if you accumulate all this information to start, you may have an idea of something which looks a bit funny, because once the horse is moving outside, even hand walked, obviously ridden, when you come back, all these structures are definitely almost back to normal on most of the horses, and especially most of the high level show jumpers. So this this is how the, the day starts for us in terms of examination. And you, you do a lot of notes. You do put a lot of information right there. Some of them will be relevant during the day. Some will not. So that's why you just want to see how much, let's say, this joint swelling is a little bit more important than normal, even if the groom says, oh, it has always been there. It's something which is maybe not so normal for that particular horse. So you get to know them better and better in details, and the other thing which is important for them is regarding the rider, the groom and the horse welfare is when you know these details and one day these details are changing or some structures don't show the same uh, look, the same morphology, the same uh, tightness on the tendon sheath or ten- or ligament or joint, you know that something is going wrong on this horse that you basically know by heart. So it's about observing touching do a full clinical exam and be closer to your horse at this type of examination for this type of examination
1: that's such an important point i know a lot of my friends that are, are grooms for high level show jumpers they they always talk about noticing you know abnormalities for their horses that they know so well so it's not so so much that you know the horse horses legs have filled up overnight. That could be something that happens, you know, every night. But if they come and and their stall is is really torn up and it looks like they've had a bad night um, or, you know, just something is is just looking different than than usual for them. It's it's usually a, a big heads up and, and a way to catch something sort of before the horse ever leaves their stall and and takes a bad step. So that's a, a really interesting point that you just made.
2: Yeah, i cannot agree more nicole when you go through this process um, and it, it can take time for everyone but maybe a couple of minutes per day we do have a whatsapp group with some of my uh, clients especially the main client i work for now is uh, uh which is carl cook on the west coast we we do have a groom let's say chats with the the horse manager to make sure that we know exactly what's going on on every horse and funny enough sometimes we're going to pick up something which is abnormal becomes completely normal within the day and a week or two weeks later these things show up again and we know it was not there by accident and we can maybe nurse this problem a bit better or we can be ahead of any other issues and that's how the preventive care takes all is significance
1: that's really fascinating um, coming back to your paper, you provide a framework for assessing movement as a horse begins to warm up. What are the types of things that you're looking for, and how much change from day to day is acceptable in in those things that you're looking for?
2: Okay, so normally at the show, this was kind of my job as a as a team veterinarian. You you get the team with you. You want to some of the horses you know well, some you don't because they they are taken care of by other practitioners, but we obviously communicate with them as well to know what is the background and history of the horse. I'd like to make obviously my main opinion about the horse itself because if you don't make your own opinion. You end up to just you know go to exactly what you have been told and it's exactly like if you go to your MD and say, Hey, I think I am sore in my stomach at this level. And the guy does, does not even touch you and say, Oh, okay, well, you know, take some omeprazole or take some antispasmodic product. But basically, you do a shortcut each time you do that. So to answer your question, the main idea is to jog these horses every morning. If I do not do a proper jog, because sometimes you don't have the space and you don't also want to show everyone what's going on on your horses when you're on the showground. you basically follow the horse as soon as it gets the tacked on you see the rider going outside walking i like to see the horse kind of go straight right away i don't want him to be going sideways or having a muscle spasm that they have seen putting the horse tail or the whole body on uh, drifting on one side i like the rider to just from cold at the moment he sits on the horse going to the ring watching the horse on a circle both direction, asking the rider to change his lead at the, as he trots. So when he does the rising trot, I'm going to ask him to swap lead on the same circle so I can see how much weight bearing the horse accept on both diagonal. Um, and then I'm going to watch the horse go at the counter both directions. Um, and I like to do this exam cold. And if something looks up to be abnormal or suspicious, I want to look at the horse within 15, 20 minutes once he's warmed up which is kind of common on most of the showgrounds, or even when you go to visit a horse in his barn, the rider will just you know, spend 10 minutes walking around, sometimes pick up his phone and do some calls at the same time. So I want to avoid that moment of 10, 15 minutes where the horse warms up. I want to see him really cold again. So this is kind of the follow-up of the cold exam that I explained to, to be the same you do in the barn or in the stable when the horse is first seen in the morning.
0: That That's really interesting, Philippe. And- I was just curious to know what types of instructions do you give the riders? Because I know a lot of the riders I've been around, like they're such perfectionists, right? That I sometimes think that as soon as they get on the horse, they're starting to work the horse a little bit. And like anything they may feel, they may be targeting right away and trying to, you know, r- remove some of the stiffness on one side or, you know, trying to get the horse going a bit more forward. So in these environments, are you telling the riders to try not to be too invasive? Just let the horse do whatever it needs to do, and then after it's kind of warmed up, then they can get into the work? Or, or how do you navigate that?
2: So a bit like a human being, you know, I'm, I'm over 50, so when I wake up in the morning, I'm pretty stiff everywhere, which is normal. I am alive, but still I am stiff. <laughs> <laughs> so when you look at these high-level short jumpers, some of them are 12 years, 13 years old plus, and they still do the, the job. Uh, they obviously stiffer in the morning as well. So, my point is, I distinguish the testing time, which is when they are super cold, exactly what I said, palpating the horse in a stall, watching him go right away, and jogging cold. And I'm mm-hmm. going to see things for sure, but I want them to kind of uh, improve within a couple of minutes, um, especially on a horse that I know well. And I'm going to accept, let's say, a warm up of five seven minutes for this particular condition, like a horse with a spavin on his rocks. These horses, if the spavin is not too active, they get better within a couple of minutes as they they trot. But the normal scenario when I am not testing the horses is to have them walk at least 10 minutes around the property or around the showgrounds or around the ring if it's the showground which is limited on fei let's say a uh, peripheral um, safe let's say fencing and these horses will be then trot at 10 15 minutes for the first time so there is a warm-up which is a minimum of 10 minutes now when we know these horses well and we know they need a few help before they get under tack, and that's basically a horse for example who have some Toracolumbar pain. This horse is going to have me his blanket, like a magnetic blanket before. He's going to have a massage from the groom or from myself. He's going to have some uh, fascia release from a PT or from someone we work with. He's going to have something to help him to get into the job quicker and happier, even if we respect this 10 minutes walk under attack. And this is very important because it's a bit like you if you know your body well there's a few stretch you might do in the morning so you know that the world is going to be great for you if you don't do this little stretch of some weak points of your back or neck or limbs then your day is going to be terrible because you're not going to do a fake movement which is going to happen to be promoting some pain on this area of concern so when you get to know the horses well this is also what we do so the, the best example i can give you is We have a horse in the barn with, you know, chronic neck issues. So each time we just go outside in a cross ties to prep the horse, he's going to have his neck stretch with a cookie. Then he's going to have some ultrasound on his low neck and plexus brachiali. Then we're going to attack the horse slow. He's going to get the progressive girthing. And then the horse is going to move 10 minutes um, under tag before he does anything. And his day is going to be great. If we forget the cookie stretch if we forget the ultrasound if we sit on him right away and trot it's going to be horrible and it may last for at least half an hour so just these tiny little tricks that you know to warm up a region of the horse because you have a strong specificity of his problems is helping the way through the horse um, first day but also career
1: it's so important i think Um, that point that, you know, each horse is obviously an individual and they're an athlete and each one comes with their own (laughs) unique challenges and um, therefore might have their, you know, unique way to warm up to address those challenges. I'm curious, just a lot of our guests have been talking about the importance of, of, you know, recording things, of you know, keeping little you know, notes or or some sort of um, record, whether it's automated or whether you're manually, you know, handwriting things in a notebook about um, what it is you're doing, so that you have a way of looking back and and measuring, you know, whether <laughs> whether things are are working well or not. Is that something that? um you've incorporated into this process or is it more of a something that you just sort of feel day by day um and work through that way
2: okay so the recording of all this information is truly important nicole and and you know that Uh, i don't have to go into details with any of this software that uh, can be used nowadays on the market so we use one of these softwares and we have really good success with it because we can record everything that we see on the horses we do have as i said a whatsapp group because sometimes we just add a quick picture of the day and even when i am remote I can get uh, information about every horse we looked at uh, with this group of people. So we get like a picture of a lump or a sudden cellulitis on a horse leg, and so it's it's recorded somewhere, you know, and it's quick to have access to. And sometimes we just delete it if it's not making any sense. Um, on the other hand, we have some um, application to check the horse um, range of motion and gait. So we have a gait analysis system. Um, so. For the group who is listening the gate analysis system there's not so many available on the market today but one of them that a lot of veterinarians know is the lemnest locator i personally don't use it so much but some colleagues do Uh, in full respect of that you know how the horse baseline gate is one day and you can say hey this is my baseline this is the best it's been we try to keep the horse into this interval of range of motion and gates uh, comfort. Um, there is a, a, a few um, get analysis system which are a bit more, uh, let's say, ex- expensive and extensive in a way that you put some uh, motion spots on the different joints and you can see the horse between mo- uh, motion cameras. And, uh, there's a few in the U S, uh, recently there's one in uh, Northern California, which is amazing. And you just basically jog the horse in a corridor and you have all the details of these gates analyzes. And there's a few apps which are going, going to be on the market soon, which basically allows you to jog the horse with your iPhone and make a video and share the video to, with your vet. And so you can follow up any discomfort of one horse. Uh, with a percentage, let's say, of acceptance. You could say, hey, I accept this left hind, which has a chronic stifle problem, to be only 10% off, but I don't accept when it's 15 or 20. Um, So that's how you also can measure what you accept, what you don't accept, and also how you measure a horse who has been having an injury, is back in work, and you say, hey, I don't want the horse to be more than this amount of percentage, uh, discomfortable, because then... It, it means that we go too far in the rehab and we have to step back a little bit. So these are the things which we are going to use more and more in a couple of years. And and they're already there. So it's not like they are not existing, but it's good to have a baseline and work through that um, as you go with these horses. Because again, you're looking for tiny, tiny stuff that can affect the horse within the ring. And sometimes most of these horses are not sound to watch, but they are not good as they should in the ring.
0: That's really fascinating. And and as you say, it's kind of exciting to look towards the future a little bit. And some of these technologies that are, are becoming more accessible um, will just allow us to be that much better at finding those small changes and preventing uh, larger issues. And on the performance enhancement side, just being able to detect uh, some things that are going on and to address those. So it's it's really exciting to hear about that framework. Uh, Shifting gears slightly, you've held a number of uh, prominent team vet positions and have worked with some of the top riders in the world, uh, both in North America and in Europe. Through your eyes, what are we doing really well when we manage sport horses? And then what are some opportunities that we
2: have to improve? Uh, That's a tough question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, you know, I'm going to answer in two parts. you always understand things how you go from the moment you started to the moment you are there. Now uh, when I started to do this job and working with the French team, it was in 92. And funny enough, the first show I went was the Delmar World Cup. So that's where I live now, which is funny because I came back like 20 years later on the crime, on the crime scene. Um, the, <laughs> so at the time, the main idea was to be, fireman so there is a problem the vet is around and you're going to look at the horse and make sure everything can be done in a small amount of time so the horse can still compete so this was the job of most of the team vets you would discover the horse most of the time the day before or the week before maybe during a a clinic where all the 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 riders would meet for a training session before a, a huge events like uh, you would meet a week before you go to the Olympics or a week before you go to the World Cup finals. So you basically are not in a preventive side. Um, the writer were demanding more and more at the time because I, within the French riders, one which I've been close to for the last 30 years is Eric Navet, And Eric is a perfectionist. And when I say perfectionist, the term is even small. He's really, really picky about everything. But The the reason I like him, it's because he has been helping me to be better at what I do, even if I think I am still behind a lot of stuff, because you need to be finding things that make a sense for the horse comfort. So we have passed the horse, which is lame one or two, five. We are not in this scenario anymore. We are in a scenario where the horse is having a chronic spasm of his neck and maybe just Does the left turn not as good as the right turn? The horse is going to be not swapping as good as it should in a combination. The horse is not going to turn and bend the best way on one side compared to the other. The horse is going to drift maybe five degrees to the left instead of going to the right. So these are things that obviously we cannot always treat and find and explain. But by observing these horses more and more with this type of riders, you end up to get to have more info and try to bridge what is a physically concern a physical concern with a rider concern and for the veterinarians it's a really a good thing to work on as they meet their clients because sometimes we come up veterinarians with strange terms and um, you know in I would say all kind of explanation which are maybe too complicated to hear. On the other hand, if you say, hey, if your horse is drifting to the right, for example, we know that it might be a right fore problem or right hind defect of push. And then you can kind of crumble down and peel the onion and find out what would be the problem based on what you know on the horse and based on what you have seen on the horse over the recent days or weeks or years and find an explanation for this drift. So most of the riders now, which are going into the, the big shows, are willing to improve more and more the comfort of their horses and try to understand how they can gain a second in a jump off because the horse does not you know, jump and turn the same way left and right. So obviously, if you have a horse which is not turning so well on the left lead and you have three or four turns to the left in a jump off for a $100,000 Grand Prix, uh, each turn you do, you lose a half a second, and this half a second is basically your twenty thousand dollars coming down each time. So it's it's important for them because behind the, the horse welfare, there is the the business that they have to go through, and this is what the going on with the professional riders. On the other hand, you also have to make sure that these horses have a kind of a very healthy life because if you are preventing every problem they have, they keep their. They, they, they keep their value over time, and uh, if this horse happens to be sold, if this horse has, happens to be even going to you know upper level shows, or you have a year ahead, you know to work things out to keep this horse as good as possible, and that's how you get also very confident by talking to the riders and getting information from them. And I have learned so much to them with them. I just you know cannot be more spoiled to have met all these people in my life to know that this horse may like this footing. This horse may like this type of bit. This horse may like this type of saddle. This horse may have this groom with him all the time so the horse feels better in his everyday life, less like, like stress, less nutrition issue, less um, mental issues even. you know, We don't always talk about the heart and the mental aspect of the horse. It's not. It's part of the whole thing. So it's only by being next to this rider that you get all this information and their grooms, and uh, the, 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 the PT or the physiotherapist or chiropractor that you put into your chart of information. So they give you sometimes some glitch that you have not seen, some uh, spasm on one part of their back that you could not always pick up on a regular base, because these people spend a lot of time with the horses, same with the farriers. So you collect all this information, and the vet should be the pivot of all this information, not because it's the Clever guy in town, but because someone has to basically record everything and put together with his knowledge in nutrition, fiery, uh, chiropractics, and obviously medicine and physiology, what could be taken um as granted for everything that you feel is significant for the horse.
1: Uh, I mean, it's <laughs> it's so refreshing to hear. That perspective, especially when you mentioned that you see an alignment between, you know, the way the upper levels of the sport are moving and, you know, horse welfare, like what when when what's best for the horse aligns with what's what also makes them, you know, the best athlete, um, which I think is a lot of the time but um not always the perception of the sport um and and not always the case too there you know not everybody um makes the decisions that that necessarily result in that alignment um but it's really really nice um i think and um exciting to hear that that that's something that you're seeing from your perspective
2: well, the riders, uh, you know, give us a lot. Um, as long as they want to communicate and get into the depths of every horse they have, and um, and there's always a horse that, you know, for sure they prefer to ride and want to get a bit more information about this particular horse. But it's it's also a challenge for both of us, you know, the rider and the veterinarians, to to come up with a few ideas or how to improve the horse um, in his discipline. And it's not a, a, about short jumping only. I have learned a lot with uh, quarter horses, uh, colleagues, uh, like a horse who cuts better on one side than the other side, a horse that spins better on one side than the other side. And you, you want to understand what's going on. And most of these horses, as I said, are sound. They would pass a vet check, but within the discipline they do, there is a moment where there is a discomfort that doesn't make them completely symmetric or nice to ride or does not exactly do the figure or style or jump uh, within it's going to be a dressage or jumper or quarter horse as i said so you're going to adjust your knowledge to the discipline so you have to be knowing enough of that discipline to understand what the rider is talking to you about Okay, And for me, I have also to understand his accent if he's from Texas or California or New York. <laughs> but but at the end of the day this this is this is the bridge that we should continue to create between practitioners of all kind and the writers. I think the writers, you know everyone is very busy in his job but when you take a, a chance to sit and talk about the world issues you may have and you can go on a weekly basis that's what i do with the, the team i work with in california we try to meet or we have a call and we try to say hey horse one by one what is the problem what do you feel today uh, what have you have we changed for the last couple of weeks or months uh, can we do better uh, can we try to find the, something different for his you know top line for his saddling for his a bit for his uh, shoeing, and uh, because nothing is settled, everything is moving. It's a it's a it's it's a being. So you need to adjust with his age, with his weight, with the footing you are encountering when you go from a show to another show. We can adjust the shoeing because of a new footing we're going to find. We can adjust the horse, let's say management, because of the 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 term of shipping is going to go from a place to another. Um, I have horses who likes to have their own groom everywhere they go. If they change groom, they start to have users when they arrive to the next stop. So the horse is, let's say, invalid to to work and to show for a week sometimes. So you have to adjust all these things as you go. And one trick I can tell you too is uh, as we went through all these shows, there's also a format of how many shows the horse is capable to do for a certain amount of times. And one of the best Uh, let's say scenario I have found so far is to give the horse three shows over five weeks. So sometimes they do three weeks in a row, but then they have to have two weeks off or they can do one week, two weeks off, two weeks then of showing. And this format has been really compliant for me wherever I went in Europe and USA, especially it's interesting because here in USA, you are used to have a show which lasts seven, eight weeks in a row. In Europe, it's very unlikely to happen, except when they started 15 years ago, the tour in Spain or in Italy. And so suddenly all these European riders, which are used to go at a show, like which close to them and then wait a week and then to go to another show. Suddenly they were six weeks in a row at the same place and they were tempted to ride every week. And horses after three weeks or four weeks would be worn out or they would be starting to have problems. So this format of three out of five is really interesting to apply for most of the horses.
1: Well, that's really interesting. Well, I honestly could could continue to ask you questions for um, hours, but um, I do know that you're you're a very busy guy, Philippe. So, um, one last question that we like to ask all of our guests: if you could speak directly to a horse and they could, you know, completely understand what you were telling them, what would you want them to know?
2: So, I think the. We don't understand what they always want to tell us. So I'm going to tell you something very clear that I heard from a fire one day, a good friend of mine who unfortunately passed away too soon. He said, "The horses have a lot to say. It's only about the time and efforts you do yourself to listen to them."
0: That's that's a really beautiful uh, message, and I think the perfect way to end uh, this podcast. leap. so. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. It was really fascinating. I know everyone's going to really enjoy hearing about your process and kind of the framework you have.
2: So thank you. Well, thank you so much, Tim and Nicole. I appreciate to have this time with you guys.
1: It was so much fun getting to have Philippe on with us today for the Sport Horse podcast episode. Um, I know I was lucky enough as a working student about a million and a half years ago to actually work with Philippe um, and get to see him in his element. He's really brilliant and he's so passionate about what he does. And I know that really came through during our discussion today. Um, But of course, not everybody has the, the resources or the ability to um, access people like Philippe, people at that level, um, but that doesn't mean that they can't take advantage of the the recommendations and the things that he talked about today. Um, Tim, I I'm sure you have some thoughts on this from from you know your perspective, but I know for me, like I I think there's it's just so important to be able to have a really good relationship, really good communication channels with your veterinarian, with your farrier, and you know, if you're the kind of person who you know works a job and um, can't be at the barn first thing in the morning to see your horse cold, and isn't always the one um, that that gets to have that interaction first thing, um, to be able to talk to the people that do and and just explain to them, you know, the importance of you know taking note of of how the horse is in, in those moments and and being able to communicate that well and, and really being a team in terms of, of caring for and managing your horses, no matter what level that horse is, um, because it really is something that is, is for both the welfare of the horse and as an athlete, um, can, can help you find ways to, to help them, you know, compete and perform at their best.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, and I and I think you hit the the nail on the head with the communication aspect. Um, like I feel like that there's this this kind of, and it's not just our sport, equestrian sport. It's I think it was kind of all sports where there was like this old hierarchy where you had the the head coach or the head trainer was kind of at the top, and they were just the the giver of directions. Right? There wasn't a lot of uh, back and forth communication. It was really you had that person kind of leading everything. They barked orders and everyone kind of fell in line. But I think what we, what we're seeing on both the sports side, as well as, you know, any industry, whether it's uh, like large financial institutions or in research institutions, institutions, hospitals, whatever, is that you really need that open communication. You need to make sure that everyone feels comfortable sharing uh, the details or kind of their knowledge and their information Across different sectors and across different silos, and and so I think you're completely right about that, and that that's something that's so powerful. So I, I think for a lot of our listeners, if if you are working another job, then it's it's important to build a bit of a, a relationship with the people who are spending time with your horses, and 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 I think one of the important components of that is like if they're going to be texting you or maybe giving you a giving you a call to give you an update, like it's important to you know, just be open to that information they're giving, um, and, and to be supportive as well, because, uh, I think anyone who's in this industry loves the horse just as much as you do. And so to be supportive, and if an issue arises to not, um, you know, make it more difficult on anyone than it has to be. Um, and I feel like I took a bit of a, a a different, uh, or I kind of went off the the track there a little bit, but no,
1: that's such an important (laughs) point. I mean, respect also within a team, like that's so important. Everybody's generally working towards the same goals. You know, there's always the, the rare occasion of a bad egg, but in general, like people really want the same thing. So it's important to also, you know, Come come into the conversations um, with the approach that like you're all working towards the same thing and be respectful and you know, non-confrontational um, and also, you know, respecting other people's time and that, you know, other people have, you know, maybe families to go home to at yeah. the end of the day and stuff like that. I I, I think that's important. It's, it's something that shouldn't be disregarded. So I'm glad yeah. you mentioned that. With that said, um, <laughs> it's a good way to end <laughs> so that we can go home too. <laughs> Um, on that note, um, as always, you can find the links to today's guest and our show notes at www.sporthorsepodcast.com. If you enjoy the sport horse podcast, um, you can also check out our additional articles and videos at sporthorsepodcast.com. Um, they're, Awesome. They they provide a deep dive into concepts that are far deeper than we have time to get into on the podcast, um, and a lot of them provide the actual science behind the concepts, and will make they'll make you a better informed horseman or horsewoman, horse person. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Please do at the at Sport horse series. And if you have a moment, go and leave a review, uh, follow us and share this episode on all of your social media channels so that your friends can find us and listen as well. You can also find all 20 plus shows of the horse radio network and have them with you wherever you go by downloading the horse radio network app for iPhone and Android You can find that at the app store by going and searching Horse Radio Network. And with that, here's to keeping your sport horse happy and healthy.